it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 161. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about circle of competence, and ironically, we have a great question that we got from Alan that we are going to talk about in regards to that, which will help us talk a little bit about circle of competence. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of start us off. And so the first part of the question is, Andrew, uh, I am a new listener to your and Dave's podcast and new to company analysis. I have a couple questions, one short and one not so short to answer. So we're going to take the second part of the question and, and answer that first. So we're going to do this a little in reverse for Alan. But Andrew and I have been talking a little bit about a circle of competence and lately, and I am trying to branch out of my comfort zone, I guess is the best way of putting it, and trying to find other companies that could be of interest to me as well as helping me make more money you know, for my investment, just like we're all trying to do. And I have certainly become more comfortable with the financial company world, i.e. banks and insurance companies. But when I start kind of going beyond that, I, I start to struggle a bit. So Andrew has worked in and out of the semi- semiconductor industry for a little while now, and he's far more fluent in that language than I am. And so I happened to be reading a 10K the other day, and the numbers all looked fantastic for this company. But when I started reading about the products and those kinds of things, my eyes started to gloss over because I had absolutely zero idea of what they were talking about. And so Andrew and I were kind of going back and forth about all this. And I am coming at this from a level of I'm trying to branch out on my circle of competence. And so we talk about circle of competence. We talk a little bit about things that you're comfortable and things you know, and you have some area of expertise or passion. And I don't know that semiconductors for me personally is going to be something that's going to be a passion, but it may be something that I could develop a passion for and would be something that I could expand my knowledge about because when you're passionate about something, then you're going to be far more dedicated to learning as much about it as you can because it's something that has a, a huge interest to you. And so 
tonight, Andrew and I thought we would answer Alan's question, but we had also kind of used that as a way of explaining a circle of competence. And, and I could talk to Andrew about some of his ideas about the semiconductor industry. And, and I could kind of poke his brain a little bit about this, like he's done with me on banks, for example, in the past. So Andrew, like I'm going to go ahead and read the second part. Yeah, like today. <laughs> and and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the second part of the question then, and then we'll kind of talk about that if that's all right. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, the second part of Alan's question is, I have been considering the following three companies, TER or Teradyne, LRCX, LAM Research Corp, and KLAC, which is a KLA corporation. I know from your podcast that you used to own LRCX. All these companies seem to be good companies in the semiconductor industry, but have a significant part of their business from China. Given the political climate with trade issues and politics, is that a reason enough for you now to rule out investment in this type of business? I think TER even does business with Huawei. Uh, on just business terms, I am leaning towards TER, but I'm weary of the politics. What do you think? So, Andrew, tell me a little bit about semiconductors and what your thoughts are on all this for, for Alan and I. Yeah, I think, obviously, if you're going to be investing in stocks like these, you should definitely understand the basics. Like you mentioned, Dave, I've been in and out of contracts in the semiconductor industry for probably close to five years now. I went to school for electrical engineering. And so my background is electrical engineering, even though after I graduated, I started pursuing investing, obviously. So I, I do have that base of knowledge that I can kind of draw from that helps me to interpret some of the more complicated jargon that comes around when you start to try to expand your circle of competence into a new industry. And so I, I really like that we're doing this and I, I think it could be a lot of fun and I think it's very useful and and a good way for investors to maybe test themselves. You know, maybe you don't have access to somebody who's an expert in the industry, but maybe you can do a sort of inner dialogue between yourself to maybe make and it's so easy today with Google where you can really have a question, type it out, and then find an answer relatively quickly. And so if you have this sort of inner dialogue that like Dave and I are going to have today, then maybe from that short amount of time, you can make a decision on whether is this something I want to spend more time on. Maybe it's it's a, a potential circle of competence down the line that you just, it's too hard for now. Or maybe it's, I just hate this and, and it's never going to be a circle of competence and that's okay too. Look at Warren Buffett, right? He He talks about how... Apple was really his first stock pick in tech. And for decades, he never got into tech. And I, I think he's done just fine. So, you know, there's there's definitely nothing wrong with having industries and stocks that are just outside of that circle of competence. Um, but to really hone in on, on where your circle of competence is and to go through this iterative process like 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 we're trying to do here, I think that can help you when you're making big decisions, trying to maybe slant your portfolio one way or the other, or maybe wait, or, or, or just if you you want to know if you, if you have big conviction on a certain stock, you're really not going to know and likely be right about it unless you have a circle of competence there. And so obviously it's valuable for all sorts of investors and, and I'm excited to do it. So I'm actually going to flip it to you, Dave. Let's start like... I love that you're you're 
basically a beginner. And, and I think a lot of the people who are listening to this probably don't know hardly anything about semiconductors. And to be honest, I had to refresh myself on even some of the basics because, you know, you can be in the industry and really like just get focused on, on what, what produces results and maybe gloss over the, the basics and the fundamentals. So maybe coming from a beginner's perspective, like what's the, what's the big question? Is it like everything's a question or it's like, you know, what, what's, what's the next stepping stone, I guess that needs to be made because the way I see it for my most basic understanding is semi semiconductors are, they, they basically are what leads to chips, you know, and chips go inside computers, phones in the past when cable set top boxes were really popular. They go into those, they go on your TV. There's even chips inside like a washing machine. So that's how I would define semiconductors. And so like, I guess based off that, did I miss something or is there like confusion on, on where, you know, what, what's, what stage of that brings confusion, I guess. No, that part, I think I understand that logically makes sense to me, I guess. What, what role does a semiconductor play in a phone, a computer, uh, any any device that it's that it's a part of what 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 role does it play it's basically the brains of it so you know when you reached out to me this week you were talking about intel so let's use intel as an example they make microprocessors so uh when 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 techies talk about processing power they talk about how fast a computer can go um, they're really talking about the chips that are inside those computers, and that's just that's basically semiconductors. So, like, okay, this, but that's okay. not like that's that not, not the only application of a semiconductor. It's one example, and it's it's one of the main ones. Okay, so when we're talking about uh, you know the computer language that you would program it, is it actually running through the semiconductor then? Computer language to program it, so. That's a really good question. Or is that and it's more interesting. Not, or is that is that more involved with a hard drive and things of that nature? No, no, no. it's it's very interesting because you have two two different kind of prototypes of what ends up being a semiconductor chip. So the way I like to think about it is, I think of the companies that are in the industry, and maybe that's because I've been in the industry, um, and I. I promise to try really hard not to get too technical, but uh, what I'm referring to is they have these things called FPGAs and they have uh, ASICs, ASICs. So in my experience, I did a lot of design with ASICs. Um, FPGAs, those are programmable. And so that's why I bring it up because those can be basically... Semiconductors are very confusing um, not confusing, I'm sorry, complex in the manufacturing of it. And so it, what happens is it needs to be designed on a computer and then they send those designs from the computer to basically a semiconductor factory. It's called a foundry. From there, they they manufacture using all these advanced crazy laser, you know, I don't even know, etching, all this crazy stuff. And then they, they, they manufacture just millions of these 
chips, basically. And then after that, they have to verify it. And so you, you put them in the lab, you have a whole team that does that, and they verify, make sure everything happened like we wanted it to happen, like we designed it on the computer. And then based on how that happens, either you got to redesign it again, and, and that could cost millions of dollars, hundred probably hundreds of I mean, I don't know the scale of it, but it's a very expensive process. And that's for ASICs. And so the other side of that's FPGAs. And that can be manufactured very quickly. It doesn't need the whole foundry process. And it can be reprogrammed over and over and over again. And so like on the one side, there's like pros and cons to it because the people who actually code FPGAs are expensive to hire. Um, so, so like you'll have pros and cons for, for each of the two types. Um, and so when I mentioned the companies in the industry, and, and I'm going to bring this back so everybody can, uh, can understand because what's happening with mobile, with mobile phones versus laptop computers and desktop computers uh, makes everything I'm talking about right now very super relevant. So like as an example, Altera was one of the biggest FPGA companies. And so Intel is a big CPU company, um, which which is generally designed on with ASICs. So Intel kind of, I don't know, I, I'm assuming, you know, there's lots of reasons why Intel acquired Altera, but I wonder if one of them is that they kind of wanted to balance out between the two types of semiconductors because you have you have like depending on the application, one technology can be better than the other. And so there's like a huge debate in the industry between like, you know, FPGAs are are the standard for this or the standard for that. Are they going to be dead one day? And so like like robotics, for example, might be a better application for FPGAs, whereas um laptop computers will probably always always be A6. So I guess that that did get kind of complex, but I don't think you necessarily need to understand to that deep of an extent to it, but I think it helps at least knowing like, okay, well, I know what a FPGA is, I know what an ASIC is, and I know they're like general parts of the semiconductor industry. And so when they talk about it, and you know, some companies will be more specialized for one way or the other. That helps with the definition. No, it does, and it, it it makes sense. So basically, what you're saying is that there's two basic types of semiconductors out there, and depending on what they're being used for, has a bearing on what type of chip the company. So do. When we talk about the the industry, I mean, when we talk about even just these three companies that that Alan was mentioning in his question, are they more geared towards each of those types of chips, or does each company make each? I guess what differentiates Teradyne from Lam Research from KLA from Intel? That's a that's a perfect question, and. I think when we talk about how deep into the weeds do you need to get into an industry, the jargon and like being like an expert quote unquote, you know, how, how much understanding do you need to know when it comes to at least this industry? So for sure you need to know 
what what the company makes. So for Lamb Research, I'll talk about that because that's within my circle circle of competence. I owned them for several years. They were by far the best stock I ever owned, and I got out once. You know, I bought in and the price of book was something like one and a half. I got out when the price of book was really close to ten, and they had added a ton of debt. Um, and so those were the reasons I sold out. And and so what they do is they do memory chips, basically. And so was uh, what, that what uh, Intel was kind of kind of turning a corner on as well? No, Intel does chips? more of Intel does the more of the brains, and and the memory chips are more just okay. like. So if you have a computer, there's the brains, there's the memory, and I'm sure there's one. So the the funny part of this is, you know, if you're not techie, I sound really smart to you, but if you are, you're probably like this guy. This guy needs to brush up on his skills. <laughs> uh, I, so yeah, you have the memory, you have the the processing power, and then you have the RAM. That's the last okay. one. So I'm sure we've you've heard, you know, people okay. have heard about that that they talk about. Your RAM yes. when you're when you're buying a computer, so you know yes, different companies. So yeah. a perfect example of this, and it's actually very very relevant today, is that Apple in this in this week they announced no it wasn't this week I'm sorry it was within the last month they announced that they are no longer using Intel chips inside their MacBooks. So so here here's what we know about Intel, and I think Dave you'll find this useful because you're analyzing the stock. Intel, it, because of the type of semiconductor chip that Intel specializes in, basically they have to, they have to put it in bigger things. So like laptops and desktops. Okay. They, they tried really hard to have a chip that would work for a phone and they just weren't able to do it for, and it kind of goes back to like that whole idea of like the ASICs versus FPGAs. So like understanding just the basics of that, you understand, okay, because certain, because certain technologies just in their nature work in better in some applications versus others, they're going to perform better or worse, or they're going to, they might work good for a laptop or they'll work better for a phone. And so as an investor, you have to make the decision. I think Wall Street's kind of made the decision when it comes to Intel is that, and I, I, I think I agree with this, is that the push in the future is more towards smaller devices than bigger. And I think more people are getting things like tablets, smartphones, you know, that kind of smaller stuff. And if Intel's chip isn't, isn't good to be in there, then how are they going to continue to grow if they're stuck with laptops and PCs, which people are buying less and less of? Right. So, and that makes sense. So I guess what Intel's been in business for a while, they're not dummies. So how do they, how do they pivot off of that? Do they go out and buy a company that has expertise in that other type of chip and try to, pivot off of that or do they try to do that kind of stuff in house then yeah so that's that's something where i don't think anyone can reasonably answer it and management's working their butt off to try to figure it out that's a problem with it's the beauty and and the and the problem with tech is it's so unpredictable and 
you know, any little discovery can really change. It could shake up an entire industry. So while it helps to understand the basics of, you know, different as, as an example for this portion of the slice of tech, it helps to know the, the, the fundamentals of semiconductors. You also, I don't, I, I think you have to be careful about getting married to it because just because that's the standard today doesn't mean it's going to be the same tomorrow. So that's kind of where value investing can come in to tech is that, you know, and, and I guess I got to be cautious with what I'm saying here. Cause I'm not just saying don't, <laughs> I, I don't want to say don't like go out and buy all the cheap tech because it's probably a really bad idea, but I'm just saying that's, that can be a really great generator of returns when you're buying cheap because a lot of people are doubting the company and then the company could, all of a sudden turn around and just make a fantastic discovery or reinvent themselves. I mean, look at Apple back in the early nineties, Steve jobs left and then he came back and then it became this extraordinary thing. So when we talk about Intel specifically and where I can come from, my circle of competence is the fact that Apple changed to, um, away from Intel. They, they basically started doing it in house and so that's like a competitive pressure on Intel. And in addition, you have this shift. So like Lenovo is another example of a company who made a decision that's could shake up at least Intel's world because they're starting to put in Qualcomm. Qualcomm's another um, semiconductor company. They're starting to put Qualcomm chips in their laptops. And so that's significant because Intel is kind of like the laptop chip um, master, right? But they're basically putting in the type of chips that you'd put into mobile. They're, Lenovo's starting to put those chips into laptops. And so not only is Intel having to deal with the fact that people are probably buying less laptops. I mean, I don't know the numbers. I'm just talking from a big picture perspective. Now they have to deal with the fact that the people like Qualcomm who are making chips for phones are are now selling those chips to laptops and laptops, you know, the more laptops that kind of get on board with that, then that can be a huge problem for their clunk. I don't want to say clunky, but like their chip that really needs to be in a, in a bigger, a bigger application. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. 
It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Yeah, that makes sense. So is the difference then something along the lines of processing speed or memory or just sheer, I guess, flexibility of ability to do a bunch of different things? I mean, what's the, what's the differentiation between the chips that Intel is using versus, I mean, why would Lenovo choose to go with a chip that is really more designed for mobile devices as opposed to a laptop. What what would be the what would be the reasoning for that? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's not so much that they're moving to it completely. They're more testing it out and seeing how it how it goes. Um, and it basically comes down to just technological innovation. That that's how I perceive it in this case, where Qualcomm just made a really good chip, and so you know that's. That's a problem with tech is you have these competitors and you know a lot of a lot of innovation needs to happen and, and you need to always spend on research and development. So, you know, something like this, like a Qualcomm, can move into your space and, and start to take it. And so it, it it's called like the, the techie word for it is ARM ARM. But it has to go it has to do with the fundamentals of of semiconductors and and the type of basically chip it is. And so I guess the movement is towards those because basically Qualcomm's put out good designs and Intel has been doing a very poor job of that in the last three, four, five years. I don't know how many years, but they've definitely slowed in their progression and it's not like a secret. If you... Go to like Seeking Alpha as a as a perfect example. You know, we love to we love to talk about Seeking Alpha as a good resource for investors. They talk about how they've been lagging in this in this um, in this slice of tech, and so that's going to be problematic for them. And it's showing, and it shows in their stock price. But there's a a story behind it that seems like a real big deal, particularly because. For Intel, I, I hate to like sound like I'm just ragging on Intel. I just they just happen to be the the company I did the deep dive on this week, right? But it, it's tough for them when their bread and butter 
is is being attacked and then they're also it, it just it's, it's not a good look when it comes to the entire company when the reason why there's sw- why there might be a shift is because you've been you've been inefficient with your production basically that all makes sense and and i think i understand kind of how this works a little bit better so how does a company like lamb research how do they fit into the picture between the the microns and the intels and the qualcomms and the cisco's and just on and on and on it just seems like there's so many air quote big name semiconductors how do some of these other companies fit into that whole scheme of things yeah so lam research is more memory chips um that's like if you follow the path of revenue that's that's what it comes down to so you know in that case following the memory developments that's 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 how you'll see the the price move when it comes to cisco okay. cisco cisco is like a whole completely different thing because now we're talking away from semiconductors and we're talking about routers and so we're talking about you know the stuff okay. that makes wi-fi happen and so i think all right i think uh as it pertains to investors I think there's less I think there's less opportunity in becoming a tech geek and like making that into finding a really great investment. I'm, I mean obviously it works, but I think there's more that can be done by at least like let's take the semiconductors again as an example. In my mind the way I would think of it is we know based on what we've talked about today in our discussion. I went maybe Five steps too far with with talking about the the basics of semiconductors, but we know that they go into washing machines. We know that they go to anything that needs brain power, and it can be something as simple as like a sensor, right, all the way complex to phones and computers. And so, I think if you trace, this doesn't have to be done all at once, but if you kind of intelligently Google search and you trace what the what the path is so if i'm interested in qualcomm for example and i know that their bread and butter is mobile phones well how do i feel about mobile phones 5 10 15 20 years ago is it generally positive you know does it seem like people love their phones you know spoiler alert they, it seems like they do so you know how do i feel about investing in that industry probably pretty good are their financials good if they are and you know if it's, if they're good compared to other competitors who are maybe in the mobile space, maybe I feel really good about that. Another interesting example is like IBM. IBM used to be the gold standard of of personal computers back in the eighties and probably nineties, and now they're a cloud company, which is very weird because it's like they do IT services, but everything centers around the cloud. And so, you know, they're making strategic moves like they acquired Red Hat, which is a very trendy company in tech, and they're very involved in the cloud. And it's more of the software side of cloud rather than the hardware. But if you didn't at least understand the basics of IBM, maybe you would think you were buying into laptops or personal computers when that's not even what they do anymore. So I think 
you know, at least reading, like we've, it goes back to a lot of our principles, reading the 10 Ks and trying to get an overview from it. And then from there, like asking yourself intelligent questions and trying to verify that and then see if it's, you know, A, see if it's catching your interest, B, see if once you trace that path down to what does future revenue, where does future revenue come from in all likelihood? And then does that make sense? And then from there, it's like, okay, now we have a, a big picture. Now let's, let's look at some specifics with the financials. And I think, I think when it comes to at least semiconductor industry and tech, I think that's a good framework to think about when you are considering looking at companies like this. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, it's very helpful. And it, 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 uh, I, I agree with you. It really goes back to the principles uh, of investing and the things that we talk about. And I think it, it kind of was illustrated to me. I spent uh, half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour reading through the financial part of Intel's financials and it all looked really interesting and really good. But then when I started branching into what does the company do? So it's not just enough to look at uh, revenue. I have to also understand where's that coming from and how are they going to generate that not only tomorrow, but 10, 15, 20 years from now. And if I don't understand the company, then it makes it a whole lot harder for me to, I guess, project that into the future or even think about trying to analyze where I think that might come from if I don't really understand the business. And after talking to you tonight, it starts to, it starts to make a little more sense. So I guess another question I have along these lines, how does it, all of this play into 5G? Yeah, I, I think 5G like unlocks everything. We, we've, ta- we've had lots of conversations about 5G off the air, right? Uh, the way I yes, like to have. think about it. I guess I can't take quote. Uh, yeah, I can't take credit for this quote, but I believe it was Jack Ma. He said, "Do you know? Do you know? Was he affiliated with City? What was it? Uh, SoftBank or Alibaba? Yes. Which one? Alibaba. Alibaba. Okay. Alibaba. He he made a metaphor for five G to be like the way the railroad infrastructure was. It's something like that. So." It really, if you think about what it opens up, so 5G is the next level for our cell phones. It's like our next level up where we're going to be able to consume obscene amounts of data instantly. So, you know, if you ever saw the spinny, the spinny circle when you're trying to watch a YouTube video, for example, well, 5G is just going to blow that away. Or, you know, what else do people use data for? I don't know. <laughs> like uh, high frequency trading or anything that really needs uh, super, super speed, you know, it just gets that much better. So right. really all sorts of companies will benefit from that. And I don't, it's like to me, and I maybe I'm wrong, but to me, it's like saying, does how do these highways and streets help businesses, you know, who or or how do they affect Give me an example. How how do how do uh, how do highways and roads affect location location location? <laughs> yeah, how, how does it affect the mail industry? Yeah. Well, it it completely revolutionizes revolutionizes it. How does it affect 
the pet sitting industry. Well, it makes it possible, right? So that's the kind of thinking. I mean, it's not as extreme as maybe roads and highways, but I think it's, I think it's getting there. I mean, from my personal standpoint, I used to find it really annoying when I would have a bunch of pictures on my phone and then my phone would break and then I would lose all those pictures. So what did I start doing? I started putting it on the cloud. I use Google Photos. And so now whenever I take a picture on my phone, it goes up to Google Photos and it gets stored in this magical place and I can access it. Whether I break five phones, 10 phones or a million phones, I can still access my photos. And so, you know, I know Apple's doing the same thing with their iCloud. And so that's just one example of how everything's moving to the cloud and there's all this data that's just companies are hungry for data. People are hungry for data, whether they realize it or not. You have all this talk about AI and all this crazy stuff, but you know, a lot of that will, will just become enhanced by 5g. And so I think, yeah, I think if you're, I think it's, it's, it's hard to to think of a tech company who won't be positively affected by 5g. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I, we were also talking a little bit. I think you mentioned that this will probably unlock the Internet of Things and make that far more prevalent than it is currently. Yeah. You want to explain that to people who don't know what, what Internet of Things is? Uh, well, in, in my non-techie, non-geek way, <laughs> for what I understand, it it is in essence, how everything is connected through the internet. So you would be able to control everything from basically your phone. So the chips that you have in your dishwasher, in your stove, in your coffee maker, your microwave, your lights, uh, your thermostat, your door handles, uh, just about anything and everything you can think of, you would be able to control via your phone uh, through the internet and the the processing speeds that 5G would allow all of that to happen over the air, I think would make it much, much more prevalent and easier to do. Some of it, I think we already have all started to experience a little bit like with, for example, having Siri or Alexa being able to turn on our lights, for example. I think this is probably just kind of the next level of that, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's exactly like Internet of Things. That's a perfect example. All right. So I think I got a pretty good handle on on, on all this. And I think it, I mean, it helps me at least understand where I need to go to start to ask other questions and to dig a little bit more so I understand the business. And like you said, I need to be able to understand it to the point where I can project into the future as best that I can because I'm not a prognosticator, but at least understand how the business is going to make money 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now and have an idea of that. Just reading through the financials, I would never have imagined that Intel was, for lack of a better word, maybe becoming a bit of a dinosaur. And I would have never known that. And I'm not saying that they are, but it appears that maybe they're on the wrong side of where the business is going at this point and that they have some catch up to do. and. So that would probably reflect in why it's a lower price than some of their competitors are, for example. Yeah, that's that's 100% right. And then you get into the reason why a stock is hated. And so if you have conviction to say, well, 
I understand it enough to know why people hate it. And I also understand enough to, these are the reasons why I think that they'll succeed despite of that. Then that could be a, a great opportunity. But if not, you know, yeah. like you said, blindly looking at the financials, that, that's, that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. All right. So do we want to, do we want to actually answer Ellen's question now? <laughs> okay, sure. So he said, so I, it kind of wraps into semiconductors and 5G. So um, he talks about Teradyne doing business with Huawei and they've been all over the news, obviously, um, particularly with it's, you know, it's not just America too. It's, it's, um, it's the EU there. And I read an article from the wall street journal a couple of days ago, I think. And, and they're talking about how now even the United kingdom is, is getting into the whole game of, you know, let's, let's keep Huawei away from our 5g because Chinese company Huawei has the potential to spy. And, and we don't trust that they will respect privacy like a Western country would just look at what's happening with Hong Kong. So he says how he's leaning towards Teradyne, but they do business with Huawei and he's also wary of the politics. So obviously there's a, just like a ton in there. You, you have the political climate with trade issues and, and politics like, like he mentioned as well. So if you, if you go back and you listen to our episode from last week, we talk about the importance of global diversification. So you want to make sure you're kind of set there. I, I also observe the growing tensions surrounding China and not just the United States, but the rest of the world, not just as it refers to 5G, but in all sorts of ways. So I'm not going to take a stance publicly on, on whether I think it's a good idea to, let's say for an example, buy US stocks who have heavy exports to China. I'm not going to... S- I'm not going to make a stance on whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether you want to lean towards that or not. As it relates to this 5G debacle, I think it is I think it is a, a serious consideration. I think it's good that Alan is is making the consideration. And I think in this particular case, you know, I don't want to like rush a judgment or anything like that at all, but Huawei does seem to be a very very it's it's like a Tesla or Amazon or or Apple. Like we've never seen anything like it. And the way it's being I don't want to say like used, but almost like targeted by politicians is just it, it, they're having a lot of problems now and it, it's hard for me to see that subsiding anytime soon. And so for a company like Teradyne, if they do significant business with Huawei. And you'll have to look into that for yourself if you're looking at Teradyne because I don't, I haven't analyzed that stock myself. But yeah, that's a serious consideration. And with the whole Huawei situation, I guess giving a a news update on, on where they are so far. From the last thing I read, they are banned from using anything to do with the U.S. And so that's a huge problem because. Going back to the semiconductor industry, they need chips from the semiconductor industry to make their network infrastructure work. And so not only are we banned, you know, there's one big chip maker in Taiwan, they're called TSMC, and then you have Samsung and they are, where's Samsung? 
Uh, South Korea. Yeah. And then, so, so a lot of the chip manufacturing is done not in the United States. There's a couple of foundries in the United States, but the manufacturing itself is done South Korea and Taiwan. But the design work, you know, like Intel, Qualcomm, Broadcom, those guys, they're, they're, they're in the United States. So Huawei can't buy chips from them. Intel, did I mention them? Probably can't buy chips from them. And then even the Dude. tools that, companies use to design these semiconductors they're not allowed to use those either and so it's like it would be like um i don't know trying to build a tower and you're not allowed to use cranes or something like that right it's it's just absolutely incredible the kind of obstacles that huawei is gonna have to deal with and that's just what we know now and and things seem to be really ramping up as it goes with tensions with china and other countries so I think in general, you have to be cautious about making investment decisions based on politics because there there can be a ton of opportunity with stocks where people are really scared of the politics and then the politics situation goes away and then the stocks just pop. And that's like classic value investing, right? That those are those are those are just money situations. But this particular one, I think because it is one of those not seen situations before like a Tesla, Apple, Amazon, that kind of thing. When it comes to Huawei, I, I would be weary with anybody, you know, doing business with them, exporting to them. It, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tricky situation. Well, I would think it's going to affect the economics of Teradyne by being, doing business with them. It, even in, in some small way. And I think with all the, the hurdles that the company is going to have to overcome to, to do their thing, I, I just think that that would preclude Teradyne from even wanting to do business with them, I, I guess, short term or long term. And I guess that would be something that I guess for me as an outsider to this type of industry would make me give me pause about whether I really wanted to go down that road or not. You know, sometimes politics, uh, well, again, like Andrew was saying, I'm not going to take a stance either way, but I think politics sometimes can be more to smoke and mirrors. But in this case, I think it's actually going to affect the, uh, the company in China in the fact that it'll prevent them from being able to do their business. And in the long run that they may be able to work that out in the long run, but in the short term, it's definitely going to cause a, a dent in their business. And anybody that's associated with them is going to feel the ripple effect, I think. And so that would, I guess, give me pause about being involved with the company. Uh, it's, it's a good point okay. you bring up so, too, because it, it's a good point you bring up too, because I think you have to separate Huawei from other companies that export to China. And so kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's like, how do you perceive something playing out 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Absent a war between the two countries, which obviously is also not out of the question, you know, you have to think that well, there are also a lot of positives to exporting to China. Um, they have, for one, they have like the biggest consumer base of the world. So that's a pretty good reason. 
And, um, you know, you have to wonder if hopefully these, these political struggles kind of take a backseat and free trade can, can happen again between the two countries. And so if something like that does happen, then stocks that you own that have exports to China will, will do very well once that clears up. I think, uh, it comes down to again understanding the company and you know maybe if a company has 90% of their exports to china i'm worried right not only now but because 5 10 15 20 years from now there could be something catastrophic so you know it's like they're they're just not globally diversified in general but maybe you know maybe you have another company who has 30 to 40% of their revenue coming from china so Sure, there's risk there, but there's also pretty good reward potential because China is a great export market. Plus, you 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 have a company who might still be fine even if things get really bad there. So you really have to weigh that into everything else and and um, make a good decision based off of that. For sure, and it's it's uh, it's complicated. <laughs> it's not easy, but yeah. you know, buying, investing, and buying stocks is never easy or <laughs> simple. So, all right, uh, I think we've probably beaten that uh, semiconductor conversation to a pulp. So, why don't we move on to the second part of his question? Uh, so, uh, Ellen asked, uh, "I use Fidelity for my brokerage account. Uh, they have a page where they rate companies according to a number of analyst reports." Do you give any consideration to others' opinions or only rely on your own analysis? Andrew, what are your thoughts on that? I'm curious to see what you want to say. All right. So here's my thought. My thought is that when I am doing my initial research and and going through the company, I don't pay any attention to what other people have to say. And the reason why I do that is because I don't want to take into account any biases that I may get from that person. So, for example, if I'm looking at a company on Fidelity's website and I see that I'm just at beginning stages of kind of analyzing the company and I see that an analyst has given it a top score, whatever that may be on Fidelity. On Schwab, they rate them by letters, so A, B, C, D, and F. Uh, a being the highest. So if I see that a company is given an A rating, then I'm going to immediately start slanting all the things that I'm thinking about towards what that person said. And that will skew my judgment over the long period of time because now I'm basing all that information on what this person said on the report. Now, I will go back and sometimes read through the reports just to get an idea after I've already made my decision or come to a a point where I think that this is what I think about the company. Because sometimes it's good to have others' opinions and, and, and ideas on what's going on. But generally, whenever I start to investigate a company, I always go to the company financials first and look through the 10K or the 10Q first to get an idea of what's really going on with the company before I start really kind of exposing myself to others' opinions because I feel personally that it's going to... It's going to affect me and I don't want to be swayed by 
something that somebody else said. And this is not to bash any of the people that are working for those companies or the reports that they're, they're producing because they've obviously been to school. They know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about. And I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is it does, it will affect my judgment. And so I try to avoid them. So Andrew, what are your thoughts? That's very well said. So I try to take a similar approach in the sense that even I don't want to go too deep into a company's financials. So I'll, I'll run my screens, right? I, I, because I've been doing this for a long time, I can glance at a, a financial statement and get a sense of if I feel, if I feel like there's a good chance that this is going to be a good stock. So I, I take that glance. And then before I go too deep into the financials, because I'll find like, like taking Intel, Intel is a great example because this, this happened to me where I, I looked at them a couple of months ago and I got really, really excited because they just seemed like they had a lot of things going for them, you know, like great revenue, great revenue growth, great, great earnings growth. And so what, what can happen when you, when you look at a company is you can start to make a judgment and then everything you read after that, you, you kind of bias it towards that judgment. And so I've really tried to not get like you said, to not get a decision until I know what's the big picture and, and how does that fit in? Like everything we've been saying, you know, what do they do? What markets are they in? And, and what's their end product? And, and how does that work throughout the whole thing? Uh, when it comes to analyst reports, I have a similar philosophy too. I, I, I just, I try to do my own analysis. That's bottom line. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think uh, I will read through after i've done my analysis and and gone through my checklist i will read articles about the company on a place like seeking alpha or guru focus or any of those kinds of places i'll also look for anything that maybe the people that i really look up to have written about a company so if i find a report that vitaly has written about the company, then that's obviously going to catch my eye and I'm definitely going to pay attention to it because I think that somebody like he is a, a very smart guy and a very deep thinker and will think of angles that I won't think of. The other thing that I will do is I will also talk to Andrew. I, I run ideas by him all the time because I value his opinion and he has a great way of looking at things that is different from mine. And so he will see things that I won't see. And I like that because that helps me get a better picture of what is really going on with a company. And I would encourage you to find a person out there that can be your looking glass and can help you with those kinds of things, because having somebody else to bounce ideas off of and, get opinions and get a second look is always fantastic for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why, but investing somehow somewhere got this reputation as being a solo sport <laughs> that you have to do this by yourself. And I just don't, I don't agree with that. And I, I think that I think having another person that you can use as a sounding board is, is a great resource if you can find it. Yeah, I agree. You know, as you were saying that, I was trying to think what can be a, a great applicable way to do that. Because I know when I started out, I, I couldn't find anybody to talk to about it. And whenever I did try, it was just, you know, they weren't on my level. What does 
come to mind is we have that Facebook group for value trap spreadsheet clients. And so, you know, that's a place where you can bounce ideas off and people have done that. It's, it's not a guarantee that, that Dave or I will, will participate and bounce ideas off, but sometimes we do. And so that's been, I think, a good place where people can go and check that out. And, and, you know, that's, that could be one option. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank in. Andrew and Alan uh, for sending in that great question and allowing us to talk about circle of competence and actually allowing me to interview Andrew on the podcast and pick his brain about semiconductors because I know I learned a lot and I hope you guys did too. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.